Welcome to StoryWise. This is the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, educate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am the career um, story consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to nurture your vision as a way of helping you get to the next step in your career. Today, my guest is Michael Rausch, the incredibly talented executive producer of the new hit show, Royal Pains, on USA. Michael has also created and executive produced Love Monkey for CBS starring Tom Cavanaugh and Jason Priestley, ABC Family Series Beautiful People with Daphne Zuniga, and Life is Wild for the CW. Michael has also worked in the feature world with the independent film In the Weeds uh, for Merrimack starring Ellen Pompeo and Molly Ringwald, and he directed and produced um, the off-Broadway show Wake Up and Smell the Coffee for IFC. Michael is currently living in New York, and we are very happy to have him here for the interview. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And just to correct you, I directed and produced the screen adaptation of Wake Up and Smell the Coffee. Oh, thank you. Which was a production, uh, off-Broadway production, that Joe Bonney directed. Eric Bogosian's show. Oh, so wait, you directed you directed the you directed the In the Weeds. I directed wrote and directed the feature In the Weeds and then which Eric Bogosian was in. Oh. And Eric and I actually had met when I was at film school. Um, really? there was something called the mentor program. Okay. Where Columbia University gave you a credit if you worked with someone in film television. And I was a really big fan of Eric's work and um, he was someone I always wanted to work with. And was highly intimidated by him because his persona is so intimidating. Right. And f- so I kind of shied away from, should I ask him? Do I contact him? And then realized I had to because I was so intimidated by him. So I, I somehow found someone who knew him and got his number and called him. And he said, you know, come down to my office and try back on. Let's talk. And I did. And it began a friendship and p- both professional and social. I played at poker at his house last week. Oh, that's and great. And he was in, in the weeds. And I then... Uh, Saw this show, Wake Up Sell the Coffee, uh, which I loved, and helped raise the money to shoot uh, a film adaptation of it, um, which I co-produced and directed. Bring us up to this point in your career. Like, if you were to do a summation of your writing career, your creative career, directing as well, bring I'll, us up I today. I try to keep it brief and painless. <laughs> Um, I went to uh, Columbia University Film School. Um, I got an MFA there. Great. And um, was a dual track for writing and directing. And um, one of the uh, classes there was a genre class and had a great teacher named David Shaper um, who wrote the film The Warriors uh, and wrote a um, thriller, which is not really in my wheelhouse. And um, it actually sold to be a uh, independent film. And that got me, I sent it to an agent who was a friend of a friend at William Morris. And she said, um, I really don't like the script, but I like the writing. So if you write something else, let me know. So uh, I did and I wrote a romantic comedy and she signed me off of that and we tried to set it up. And I flew out here, I was in New York at the time um, for uh, about three or four meetings about casting and at some point realized 
that the film was never gonna get made. So I decided to write something that I thought I could raise the money to shoot, and uh, I wrote this feature that you mentioned, In the Weeds, and uh, it was a very low-budget film, and we shot it um, in Brooklyn in a restaurant all in one location uh, in about 17 days and raised the money, and we had a great cast, and that was kind of the first professional thing that I was involved with. And um, This was right out of school. This was right out of school, yeah. This great. was about a year after film school. Um, and used uh, the DP, a guy named Horacio Martinez, uh, who was a friend of mine from film school, and uh, used a bunch of people from film school on the crew. And, uh, and we got this fantastic cast, and the producer's name is Peter Glatzer. And we ended up uh, selling it to Miramax um, for non-theatrical, and then pitched it to Fox, um, the, the Pate brothers, um, kind of helped open the door for us to go and pitch it to Fox, a TV show, and I wrote and directed a pilot of the film, and that was basically my entree into television. Wow. That is so, a great way to get in because you essentially skipped the staffing I did, uh, and part. I feel a tremendous amount of guilt about that, that I have not staffed. Um, but, uh, yeah, I did. I came in as a show creator with In the Weeds, and actually the show that kind of knocked us out of contention was a show um, called it was a Mike White show called Pasadena, that was a really great I show remember. on Fox and yeah. and was short lived although it should have it's it, it's very was kind of ahead of its time, and uh, that was done with Brillstein Gray and ended up then getting a deal with Brillstein Gray, and um, and then kind of went from there. But you have had your hands like deep in the creative process from the very beginning. You you were you went to Columbia. I went to Columbia University um, Film School in New York City. Right. Which is the film school in New York City that is not NYU. Okay. Um, but uh, I loved it and had a you great time. You got your there. MFA there? Got MFA there, yeah. Did you study directing and writing? Studied directing and writing both. Right. Did a dual track and did a 17-minute thesis that I wrote and directed and had a great time doing it. And it starred uh, a, an actor named Michael Silver, who I've since worked with multiple times, and Katie Mitchell, and uh, and really just loved that experience, both the writing and the directing, the being on set, and realized that that was something that I was very excited about doing as a career. Oh, that, that is fantastic. And then your foray into getting an agent happened pretty quickly after school because of your um, independent films. It did, yeah. I, I uh, you know, had, I wrote in film school um, a, a really bad script that sold, um, and a movie was made out of it, uh, a pretty bad movie. And although it was a very fun experience, and there were two companies that were doing it, um, they had just merged, and um, I was in New York, and one was in Los Angeles, one was in Canada, and they would each send me notes on the drafts that I would do, and there were conflicting notes. So I would do A company's uh, notes and get paid, and then do B company's notes and get paid, and then do A company. And at a certain point, they caught on and just fired me. Um, but oh, uh, that was a script, the first kind of script that I wrote that got produced, and it helped eventually get me an agent. Um, and that so agent you were young when you got an agent. I was on the younger side, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and it was, you know, this feeling of being um, finally represented in some way and feeling like, okay, there's some advocate because it's very scary, obviously, when you're not inside at all. So just having one person that felt like they were on the inside who at least knew who I was 
definitely felt like, okay, well, I've gotten that far now. Now let's get to the next step. Are you still with that same agent, I am not still with that same agent, unfortunately. But it was a stepping stone. It was definitely a stepping stone, yeah. Part of the growing process. It was. And, you know, the the being with an agent and finding the right agent and and having, you know, there are so many scary stories about that. And and everyone kind of wants to find their, you know, Jerry Maguire at the end of Jerry Maguire. Um, but it's also, you know, part of the team that you have and the right agency and the people who get your sensibility and there are great agents who don't necessarily get your sensibility. And so it's really important to try to find someone who does understand your work and what you want to do and how you want to do it. How, how many have you been through between then and now? I've been, I was with that one for, um, a couple of years and actually what happened was someone came over, took over that agency and fired my agent. So, and it was not done in a very respectful way. And so I just left after that. And I wasn't there very long. I was probably there for about a year and then joined another agency. And I was there for about five years and then just recently left them about a year and a half ago. And and so I'm still with the place I am now. Oh, that's And I'm, I'm a really a creature of habit. So I thought I'd be with one agent for my whole life. And I'm hoping where I am now, I stay. It is, can I ask where that is? CAA. Oh, great. That's yeah. what I thought. You're with Andy. Uh, I'm right. with, yeah, there's Andy and Ted Jake Miller. and Tony. Oh, and and Rick, it's great. a whole yeah team of really talented guys. There. Yeah, love CAA. That's great. Good for you. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, so, and on that note, actually, I would like to before we jump into your whole background, I the agent thing is a, it's a very difficult time to get an agent now. It is. It's a really you know I mean I think what's going on especially in television, um, with the landscape changing and then the writer strike. Um, I think a lot of agencies have cut back on their clients and there are fewer jobs to get now. So it's harder to kind of get a job to then get an agent. So it is a really difficult time to be a young writer. It, you know, it's in, I mean, in my consultancy, I work with writers of all levels, but, but it is very difficult to, um, let the lower level writers like really understand we're, we're going through a shift in the business and, you know, if you're in one of the diversity programs, but now the diversity programs are getting like, you know, thousands of submissions right. where there's eight slots. And it's like if you don't hit one of those programs or if you're not a diversity, it is a very challenging time in the business to get started at the ground level. Absolutely. And it's also challenging mid and upper level, too, because there are fewer jobs. And when there are fewer jobs, people with more experience tend to take some of the jobs that other people might have had and people get squeezed out. So, you know, I know a lot of people at every level who are having a more difficult time now than they've had over the past four or five years. And it's hard to start out. And it's also, you know, it's there are just fewer positions at every level. There are. I mean, because the budgets are changing and Absolutely. the business is changing. And because there are fewer jobs, it's almost like there was this musical chairs where so few people got seats this year. Uh, right. And and as a result, agents will then call, you know, I, I mean, part of what I do um, is I'm both a writer and a producer. So I hire writers and you, you're a producer when you do that and you negotiate you know, writer's salaries and, and everyone has a quote and agents will then call you and say, so-and-so writer will lower their quote. And then you're in this position as a producer. Well, that's great. And as a writer, you feel horrible because you don't want any writer to ever lower their quote. Yeah. But it is a situation now where the game is changing and I don't think anyone knows where it's going to go. Right. So all we can kind of try to do is, is, you know, seize the opportunity. And be grateful for the work. I mean, it, it is, 
I, I definitely agree with you that you don't want anybody lowering their quotes. I, I too, have heard the same story from many people who are lowering their credits, lowering their quotes, doing anything in order to work. Mm -hmm. and, and at the same time, I mean, how lucky we are to be working in a business that we all love to get up every day and absolutely and there's so many do. talented yeah. writers out there and executives and you know and and when you find them and you get to work with them it, it just makes the process that much more enjoyable that is yeah and you speaking of that so i also i first actually i would like to ask you when you're selecting when you're staffing writers um, say for Royal Pains right now, what scripts, what spec scripts are you reading? Are you reading originals? Are you reading spec we are, scripts? I'm actually in, I just left meetings with writers because we're, we're hiring one or two more writers for season two of Royal Pains. And right. I think that the most difficult process for me, part of the process um, of television is hiring writers um, because uh, you know, you need to find a good writer. Obviously, that's very important, but just as important as finding chemistry in a room. And for instance, on season one of the show, um, in terms of chemistry in a room, it was it was the best room I've ever been in, and it was a very um, collaborative room. And you know, there was no ego in there, and we all respect each other, and we all work well together. That's and great. so now we're trying to find a writer who both can write a great first draft and contribute with story in the room, but also someone who will fit into the complexion of the room. So it feels especially challenging. But but the worst part of it is that you meet so many. You know, we're hiring one or two people now. We're probably going to meet twenty people, and we're only meeting them because their scripts are great, and we've heard great things about them. So which is very difficult to know that you're saying no to 18 really talented writers who are being well recommended and just hoping that the one or two you pick are the right fit so you're saying you look at the whole package more than just the script because royal pains is a specialized show kind of absolutely. with regards to the humor and the genre and, and that's one of the difficult things and, and a lot of the times you get sent samples and this is tricky because I think sometimes agents send what they feel is the best sample for a writer, which is very important. But oftentimes, it's completely wrong for the show. So there have been a lot of times, you know, in this this part of, as we've been staffing, where we have to call, if we really love a script, call the agent and say, you've got to send another sample because, you know, we love the script, but it's dark and it feels something that's more like CSI than it does We're All Pains and we need to see lightness and a tone that's a little closer to our show. So and it's, it's interesting tricky. thinking of the big specs out there right now. So which was your question, which I did not answer at all. Um, so I will now. Okay. Uh, you know we get a lot of houses. Okay. And I think because house is both a medical procedural, um, it is dark, yeah. but it also has comedy in it. Um, we got a lot of Grey's Anatomies for season one, also medical. Right. Um, we've gotten a bunch of Mad Men this year. Um, Which is a great spec, even though it doesn't tell you specifically what it can do for your show. I right. think if a writer can really nail a madman, it it really goes far for them Absolutely. in the business. What about like a hung? Have um, not gotten a hung yet. No, but hung maybe could. A hung could come. Work. Yeah, I just yeah. like saying the word hung. Yes. Um. So. Uh, yeah, no, that could definitely work. I'm trying to think, you know, we've also gotten a lot of original scripts, which is great too. Right. Because then you can see what's driving a writer on their own when yeah. they're not trying to imitate somebody else's voice. Yeah. Because um, it's, you know, it's it's obviously important because every writer on our staff should be able to write a Royal Pains episode. 
And so you want to, you know, someone who can write a house, if they're not in the staff, they're you exhibiting see, they the ability mimic. to do that. Yeah. Right. But also there's something a little bit limiting creatively about just specking somebody else's show because you're not fully liberated to just do your own thing. So it's also, I really like to read original stuff if it's a full-length feature or a play or a pilot. Is that your preference, would you say, I generally do both? say, I mean, like, you know, what I say on this round is send me what you think is the best sample that also feels like it could represent the tone of our show. Great. And if it's a spec, great. If it's original, if it's a play, I don't, I don't really care. I would imagine that there are probably specs. I know that there are specs for Monk. I don't know about Psych if there you are. You know, lot, I don't. I'm sure there are too. Yeah. It's funny. I don't think, I don't think we've gotten any USA shows. And Interesting. It is because I mean USA. Is, they're a great network to work for, mm -hmm. and they're very smart, and they do. You they've know, had a lot of success. They've had a lot of success, and, and they yeah. understand their brand. Mm -hmm. And there is there is flexibility within that brand. I mean, our show is different from Burn Notice, but it totally is of the same fabric. Um, but I uh, I don't think we've gotten any USA shows. Burn Notice is is a spec script that a lot of writers are starting to write. It, it is, yeah. So so I do I agree with you. I think USA has done a tremendous job. I also love the executives there. Has done a tremendous job branding wise. So you you know what a USA show right. is, and, and they're so, very smart at yeah. giving notes. I mean, they're really good at kind of guiding you um, gently towards what they think will fit into the network, um, but at the same time uh, giving us a lot of freedom to just do what we want within the show when there were struggles, you know, in this first season, as there always are. Um, but for the most part, um, you know, they really kind of step back and let us create the show. I like what you guys have done, though. I have to admit it was interesting, like, watching it evolve through the season because I, I can certainly say as being a current executive for 12 years, it, you, it often took anywhere from five to eight episodes to find the identity and and unify the voice between the studio, the network, and the executive producer. So nowadays, um, unless I mean cable, I think is a little more uh, liberal with it. But uh, on network television, you don't have five to eight yeah. episodes to figure out what your identity is. And I did find that you guys did find your identity pretty quickly. We did. Andrew Lancheski, who created the show and, you know, wrote a great pilot and really just created very specific characters. And um, the pilot was really well cast. And um, I think that that really helped us in the room find the show. And I agree with you. I mean, of the shows that I've worked on, I haven't worked on that many. I think we found the show the quickest. And, and once we kind of had an idea of what it was it really obviously made it easier for us to then have fun with it and try to keep a consistency. I mean, I said in the beginning of the room that, that I thought the goal for us as writers this season was for every episode to be different, and yet at the same time, every episode to feel like a World Pains episode. And I think we managed to pull that off, and you know, it, it, was, it was very satisfying for us creatively. No, I commend you and I congratulate you. You guys are doing great, and you're coming back for another season. We are. And you did 11, 11 episodes? We did 11 plus the pilot, and then we're going to be doing, it looks like, 18 for season two. It's interesting for me looking at your bio. So you went from the independent world into creating shows. Um, you created an executive. You executive produced how many of the three shows you created? All three. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes. Oh, my God. You were thrown into the fire immediately. 
Oh, wow. That is. And were you kept on all three shows? I was. Oh, yes. Michael, that says a lot. But I think going to film school and having made films really mm-hmm. helped a lot because I was very familiar with sets. I was familiar with actors. I was familiar with the process of production. So I think for a lot of people who create TV shows who don't have that background, they're learning so many things simultaneously that it can become overwhelming. And having already had that as part of my DNA in a way, it just made it easier for me not to have to worry about that and focus on episodes, on you know the writers, on the studio and the network, and all those other very important things. What was that? So the very first job was which show? And what uh, was that it, It's like? a funny story. Uh, well, funny is a strange way of putting it. But I was – ABC Family um, had expressed interest in uh, a show I, I created called Beautiful People. And um, I was doing it with the studio Sony and Paul Stupin, who was a non-writing EP, who was on Dawson's Creek and is a great guy. And they kind of said, look, we're probably going to shoot the pilot. Um, we're not committing to it yet, but you should start casting while you're in New York. And, you know, we'll spend a little bit of money on that and we'll just kind of see where we go. And they had not done any original programming yet. So everything was a little uncertain. Um, but I started going to casting sessions in New York and meeting people and it was fun and, um, it was both exciting, but I didn't want to get too excited in case it all just fell apart. And, uh, I remember there's one casting session. It was a really cold day in New York. And my cell phone kept buzzing in my pocket, and I kept kind of clicking it off, clicking it off, clicking it off. And it kept going over and over and over again. And finally, the casting session ended, and I had, I don't know, 16 messages. And I started listening to the messages, and it was my agents and, you know, tons of agents calling, agents I'd never heard of before calling. And uh, and so I started returning calls, and it turned out that within that maybe two-hour period that um, – ABC Family decided not just to order the pilot, but to order an eight-episode season. So that happened. And then also within that two-hour period, CBS decided to pick up Love Monkey. So I within, remember. Yeah, there was I this. So re- that's right. It was a crazy thing where both ha- things happened at exactly the same time. And I took the subway home and went out and bought a very nice bottle of champagne. And we celebrated. Um, but that's kind of how it began. And both shows happened simultaneously. And... Um, we shot the Beautiful People um, pilot and the Love Monkey pilot at very, very, I mean, basically back to back and then went into the Beautiful People season while we were waiting to hear about Love Monkey and Love Monkey was not picked up for the fall, um, but the studio CBS Paramount and Sony, it was, they did it jointly, um, you know, really fought hard and Zachary and Amber at Sony, show. thank yeah. you, and David Staff at Paramount. You know, they didn't give up and they kept pressing CBS. And and while we were on the second last episode of Beautiful People for season one, CBS picked up the show uh, as a mid-season. Okay. So it, we, we had both things kind of happen, or I had both things happening um, at the same time. That's a happy and problem. It was a very yeah. happy problem, yeah. A uh, little bit crazy, but very happy. I was going to say, that had to have been overwhelming. Like the... I think film school definitely prepares you, but nothing prepares you like on-the-job training. So if you were to think back to um, your very first day in the writer room versus, say, now in the writer room, um, take me into what you learned. Um, I, 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 I shudder to think of what I must have been like on my very first day um, because I had never been in the writer's room before. Mm-hmm. Um, I had very little idea. On Beautiful People, there was no one... 
um, you know, I was a showrunner and there was no one kind of attached to it. On CBS, um, part of the show being picked up was conting cast contingent and showrunner contingent. And as a lot of young writers are warned, you know, be careful who you approve the showrunner because they might try to take over the show. And I'm naturally paranoid anyway. So mm -hmm. I came out here to meet with showrunners and CBS gave me a very short list. And, and uh, the guy that checked out the best was this guy named John Worth. And um, I right. called him from New York and said, I'll fly out tomorrow. There's a bar that I love on Fairfax. He said, I know it. So we met there and, uh, and had about an hour and a half of really just great connecting, both professionally but also just as people. And uh, so John came on and, and he you know, was uh, a really good mentor in terms of, and he had, he had run a bunch of shows and you know, he kind of walked me through the process with CBS and he's worked with them a lot. And so that was really educational to me. Oh, and that sounds like that. That was a great union. It was great. Yeah. And also having the opportunity to have two separate rooms of writers on two separate shows at the same time uh, was such a, a fantastic experience because I, I got, you know, double the experience basically on what rooms can be like and what's working and what's not working. And uh, I didn't know anything else at the time. I had no context. So it just made sense to me. Um, because it had to. And so I think, you know, both those experiences uh, really helped uh, inform kind of how I run a room now and things that I didn't do well then that I wanted to learn from and things that I saw that seemed to work that I wanted to kind of get better on. And on that note, like the idea, the idea of going from creating and executive producing three of your own shows to going on staff and executive producing Royal Pains what was what uh, are know, the two experiences they're very different and i had never staffed before as i said and um my agents asked me i just moved to to caa and they asked me if i was interested in staffing and i was i i was really interested in working with someone else um and uh they called about this show and i read the script and and you know andrew wrote a great script and watched a pilot and and it was a very strong pilot um, and uh, met with, I was in New York and they were in LA and so we did this whole video conference thing with uh, Paul and Rich Frank who were the non-writing EPs on the show and uh, then I had to have a video conference thing with USA. Um, so it was this very kind of surreal experience and... Um, what was you know, that like? It was very weird. I was developing at the time and, and this, all, this all went down in about a week. Um, and they wanted to start the writer's room about two weeks later. And so it was just incredibly fast and quick. And I live in New York with my family. And this was happening in L.A. So, and it was Christmas. And so the holidays were happening. And there was just a lot of, there was a lot going on. Um, so I never really stopped to think of, wait a second, I will be running somebody else's show. That's not my show. Um, but I spoke on the phone with Andrew a lot. And, you know, it was very important for me to be in a situation where I didn't threaten him. And where he also was going to give me the freedom to work the way I like to work. And we just really hit it off. And, you know, I couldn't imagine doing this with anyone better than Andrew in terms of how we work together and uh, the kind of the lack of ego between us. Um, and so, you know, the only the thing that's strange about it is that when you create your own show, it's in your DNA and the characters are in your DNA and everything about it is is a part of who you are in some way and with this that wasn't the case so it took me a while to really get you know i'd never written characters that i hadn't created right so andrew wrote the first script um and i wrote the second and there was definitely a sense 
uh, for me of like, am I going to be able to do this? How I don't know these guys. I didn't create these characters. How can I write dialogue for them? Um, and then, you know, sat down to do it and had a great time and it couldn't have been more fulfilling. And so, you know, the, the situation feels very, very, very similar with the exception of this didn't come from me. And so there's, you know, there's a slight emotional distance, very slight because of that. And that to me is the main. Is that a little less stressful? Um, it's, it's, it's. I wouldn't say less stressful. It's stressful in a different way. I think I think there's I think there's like one degree less of emotion invested in it because I didn't have to That's go through that horrible period it. of yeah. developing it and finding out are they going to buy it? Are they going to make the pilot? Are they going to yeah. pick up the show? I was spared all that anxiety. So I got to come on once all the good news was happening. And then, of course, you have the pressure of delivering in the series. And, and that was something I hadn't experienced before of, okay, everyone created this great show. And now it's been picked up. And now, am I going to be the guy who comes in and messes it up? So there was definitely a lot of pressure until we premiered, and you know, making sure that we did well, and and uh, and we ended up doing well, which we were very fortunate for. Did very well, pretty much out of the gates. Didn't it did. It? I think it took everyone by surprise. Yeah. Um, I mean, we had a great lead in at Burn Notice, and I think you know they thought we'd open strong, and I th- I think the pattern at USA is that shows in the first season do okay, and in the second season do better. And then really hit their stride in the third season. Oh, great. Um, so, so hopefully we're not reversing that trend of doing yeah. very well in the first season and just going down. Um, but we did well. We opened strong. The next week we went, we went up, which I think is the first time that happened on USA. And then we went up again the third week. And then the fourth week was, if I remember correctly, um, when Michael Jackson died. And that happened the afternoon of, of, uh, of our fourth airing. And so it was obviously an insane day. And, you know, his death is much more important than our ratings, but it kind of threw everything out in terms of, you know, what was, what felt real and what didn't feel real. What was the climb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Um, So, uh, but we did, yeah, we had, we had a great first season. Oh, that, that is fantastic. Now you tapped on the idea um, that you live in New York, which is a rarity for television writers. So what has that experience been how many of your shows that you've been on have been in new york um we shot love monkey in new york and had the writer's room in new york um the beautiful people we shot in toronto and the writer's room were in LA, was in la for both seasons and i was in la for some of it and i was in new york doing love monkey on some of it and i'd shuttle back and forth and i'm very um i really like to be present on the set and so i was in toronto a lot working from there and writing from you know the trailer there or on set and then the CW show Life is Wild was shot in South Africa. So uh, we had the writer's room in, in New York, and obviously the set was in South Africa. So I would go there a lot, which was an oh, amazing experience. Yeah, it was great. But I've been very fortunate in terms of being able to work out of New York. And I know that at some point my luck will run out. But, uh, but so far, uh, I've gotten lucky. And in that process, you had a what, – at what point did you have a family? Did you um, – our first child, Henry, was born during the outline process of Love Monkey. In wow. fact, um, I had an outline due the day he was born. I think it was the first outline and, and oh had this gosh. amazing, of course, I didn't hand it in. And I remember being in the delivery room while my wife was in labor, just being so anxious about the baby 
and not wanting to worry about that. So I just started worrying about the outline and then I had to stop myself and, and think, what in the world am I doing thinking about an outline right now when my wife's about to have her first child? I love these stories. I hear I hear writers like where they're literally writing or doing rewrites uh, about as they're about to push the baby out. Uh-huh. So, it, yeah, I, I love those stories. That, and I love how you associate this child was born when this show Absolutely. was Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> no, it's great. And, and uh, you know, he Henry brought great luck with him, as they say babies often do. Um, but it's been, you know, one of the hardest things about about being a, a, a showrunner is the balance of, you know, really wanting to be present as a father. Um, and as a husband, and at the same time, you know, the job requires an amazing amount of work and very long hours, and you want to, you you know, want to give everything you can to the show as well. It, you know, I, I've seen, I mean, obviously working with countless showrunners, it is an interesting thing. Now, I'm going to ask you to assess yourself. Most showrunners um, who I've had the experience of working with, and I've worked with a lot of incredibly talented, brilliant people, Usually, you will find either they're great at managing and their writing is good, but their writing is not their greatest strength, or their writing is incredible and they write like crazy, but they need to associate themselves with a strong uh, partner executive producer who can manage the room. What do you feel your strength is? Um, I would never answer that question. Um, <laughs> but I can say that I love doing both. I don't know which, I don't know if I'm strong at either. And if I am, which one I'm stronger at, but I enjoy writing as much as I enjoy. That, no, I have definitely experienced that as well. Yeah. I mean, it is an interesting thing when you can see your own strengths and weaknesses and go, okay, well, I'm better at that. But I have definitely experienced what you're saying, where the showrunners equally enjoy both parts of the right, job. Right, and they both are very challenging, and writing is very solitary, which on the one hand is great because you get to be by yourself in peace and quiet. But working with a room full of incredibly talented writers or going to set and working with actors or a great crew, that's really you know fulfilling as well. Ah. And so I enjoy doing both. Yeah, I wish I liked one more so I could just do that one. But but both are a lot of fun, um, and I think that you know you're we are all in a state of trying to constantly improve what we do and make ourselves better writers and better producers and better showrunners, and so I hopefully am in that process of, of getting better. I think you are definitely in that process. Thank and you. I'm very proud of the work that you are doing. And with that, we are going to take a break. We are here with Michael Roush of Royal Pains. Thank you. You're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Grisanti. StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories, offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision. We are back with Michael Rausch, uh, the executive producer of the USA Network show Royal Pains. I would like to ask you about your personal creative process. When it comes to writing, what is your routine? Um, heavy drugs. Definitely begin <laughs> with heavy drugs. Drug of truth. Thank um, you for your honesty. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't. I think the routine is just to sit down and write. They don't. I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't really drink. There's no. Are you a morning thing. person or? I am an all day person. I mean, if I'm on a show, I write when I can write, and if that's seven in the morning seven in the morning if it's two in the morning it's two in the morning 
Um, it's really when you can find the time. If I'm developing something, then I usually like to, you know, wake up, go for a run, read the paper, drink a lot of coffee, and then around 10 o'clock, sit down and write until I feel like I've hit a wall. One of the things I used to do, which I learned from, was when I hit a wall, I would just try to fight through it. And I would just sit and stare at my computer for hours until I fought through it. And inevitably, I never would. And I learned that just walk away. And, you know, if that means pick up a book and read a book, go for a walk, go see a movie, just let your brain stop focusing on solving the problem. And then usually when you come back, it's much easier to solve. So um, if I'm developing, I'll do that and then break for lunch and then, you know, usually write until about four. And I'm uh, one of the teachers I had in film school, you know, she had something that was called the blurt. And what she, it was her way of saying, calling a first draft a blurt and taking the pressure off calling it a first draft. So it was, for her, it was just get the pages out there. Like the vomit draft. Exactly. Yeah. And just write as much as you can until you're done. And then you have something to work with. And I fully endorse that theory. I think it's a great theory. Because um, it's, I mean, I will go back and look at stuff occasionally, but once you really start doing that, it gets dangerous and you spend, you know, months working on the first 10 pages and you've got great 10 pages and nothing else. Yeah. So I generally just write and just keep writing. I think, you know, it's interesting you say that moving past the fear. I'm um, uh, the writing instructor for NBC's Writers on the Verge, and it's a 10-week program where they have to write, or no, the hope is, the goal is, that they're going to write a spec and a pilot in 10 weeks. Wow. So the spec script is on this accelerated um, schedule of three weeks. So, you know, the first week the outline's due, the second week the hope is the script is due, and the third week is the second draft of, of the script. So it is getting people to move past their barriers, be okay with the vomit draft, and recognize the molding then begins. And so. get used to the sadistic torture of this business. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. It's just <laughs> If you can survive these three weeks, exactly. you can survive anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, the moving into the pilot phase of the program, I mean, that's seven weeks. The original is much more difficult. Like if you were to tell me about your creative process of when you first learned spec script writing and then you learned pilot writing, mm -hmm. what what were the two, what were the differences between the two? You, you know, I, I think I wrote one spec script and- um, What was it? It was a Seinfeld. Great. And I have no idea if it's any good. I don't remember it very well. Um, I remember there was something about parking meters or, or someone getting a ticket um, and, uh, and that was it. Um, but, but I'm always amazed in terms of the pilot process, how much time is given to the outline and the outline is very important, but it feels like maybe of, you know, once you pitch until you hand in your script, 65% is the outline and then 35% of the time is the script. And it always feels like when you get to script, you have so little time left and that's such obviously an important part. And I always feel like that should change somehow. And, you know, outlines are very important, but ultimately it's all about the script. Yeah. And you can keep, you know, getting notes and outlines and going back and back and back. But until you're writing and fleshing it out and until the characters are speaking, you don't really know exactly where you're going. And you obviously want to have an imprint of a story and a structure. And that's very, very important. But at least for me and for how I write, until I'm actually writing the scenes, I haven't found what exactly I want to do. What the story is. Yeah, what the story is and where the character's going to go. And, and it feels like there should be a little more freedom given to that part of the process and maybe spend a little less time on the outline. 
That's interesting. Stephen Pressfield, who wrote The War of Art, he, we, t we discussed the idea of how ideas come through you, how, how, like you're saying, until you begin the writing process, you don't really know, like, the direction you're going to go in. And, right. and, you know, it's interesting because I, I've definitely experienced both. I've experienced people who write, like, 17-page outlines for one hour who it's all down there, and so the script is a piece of cake. And then I've definitely had shows where they have, like, six-page outlines, and the hope is that all the energy is going to come out in the script process. So... Oh, with royal pains, what is the process like? Is well, there the pro a heavy I, there's outline? definitely no, it's not. I mean, the two things that that I've done in royal pains. One is um, without any resistance from the network, just said we're going to give shorter outlines. I mean, the outlines can be anywhere from nine to twelve pages. Okay. Um, but also, what we've done is we basically outline together as a room, and so we will break the story okay. together and yeah. we will blend the various ABC stories together into the acts. And we'll basically create the outline together, and then the writer of that episode will go out and take this kind of Frankenstein's monster of an outline and make it feel consistent and, and make it feel like it has one voice. But it's something that invests everyone in the episode, and I think it got us all a little bit further ahead in terms of understanding the characters and understanding the feel of the show, because instead of just waiting for the seventh episode for your script, you've been working and writing on every episode. Uh, in terms of putting the outline together. And it's not putting all the weight on one person. It's not. And that's yeah. one of the other things that, you know, when you're writing a 15 or 16 page outline by yourself, that can take two or three days. Mm -hmm. And instead, this part really takes, you know, a few hours. And we get to not lose man or woman power in the room, but keep everyone in there. Yeah. And yeah, it, it just, I hated going off and writing 15 page outlines. I, it was the part I liked the least about. The creative uh, about process, yeah, yeah because it doesn't feel creative and it's so essential to have an outline yeah and then it's something that you go off of yeah. and you know and I think you kind of probably rebel against it going oh absolutely and yeah. just dread it and you yeah. sit down and you're like why am I writing things that are so dry and who cares and this is prose and um, but it is a very important part and it's an important part of the process because studios and networks demand it yeah and they want to see where the episode's going and give notes on it which makes sense also so I try to minimize the time spent on that. But still, you know, you have to give something that suggests exactly what the episode is going to be. And then usually when things go off it, if they don't go too far off it, no one cares. And if something does go too far off it, you call the studio or the network and you say, hey, listen, that person who's going to die in Act 2 is now going to live. And this is why. And usually yeah. they're fine with it. You make adjustments. I Absolutely. Think, yeah, I think that's great. Are you now, when it comes to ideas, what... Because you've created so many shows, what is how do you come up with your ideas? Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, Beautiful People was an original idea, um, and it was kind of based on I went to a private school in New York, and um, and it was based a lot on growing up in New York and going to a private school in that world, um, and kind of the world of privilege, and um, you know that I took people a fish out of water and put them into that world in that show. Love Monkey was, I was going to Sony to pitch an idea that I had that I loved. And before I could say a word, an executive there, Melissa Kellner, just handed me a book and said, read this. And I took it home. It was a Friday night. I was out here and read it that night and called her the next morning and said, please throw my hat in the ring for this. I love it. Uh, I want to fight for this job. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's great. And she was yeah. great. Yeah. And, and, and the book, Kyle Smith wrote the book and it was a great book. And it just so spoke to me in so many ways. Um, and uh, Life is Wild was based on a British format. 
Okay. So, you know, it, I changed like it from that. breathing life into these ideas that are... Absolutely. Yeah, and I know. think, you know, I think every writer has a different process of how they come up with ideas, but usually it's something that interests you, and it's obviously very important to have a theme and something you want to write about that can keep you going from episode to episode to episode. I've heard people say you should start with a theme, and it is an interesting thing. I think the theme, certainly looking at Mad Men and how... They have incorporated themes so beautifully between the three storylines very often and right. Dexter and Breaking Bad. I think theme is a a very big thing in the creative process now, probably even more so than it ever has been. I agree. And we generally try to begin episodes with a theme. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a theme changes. Yeah. And sometimes you find a really generic theme like trust yeah. or love. And you're yeah. like, wait a second, this is not a theme. This is right. just a very broad term. So we've got to get more specific. The theme often does evolve. Like I have to admit, watching episodes of Royal Pains, it is a fascinating thing because I almost think theme it is easier integrated into complex storylines where there's many, many layers mm-hmm. um, versus a show like Royal Pains where it's more simplistic and you have to get so much out of, I can see why theme would possibly change in the process. Absolutely. And, and, you know, one of the things about Royal Pains is that, is that, you know, the, it is a medical procedural, um, as it, as a procedural, but really it's a relationship character show. Yeah. And so one of the things that enables us to balance both, hopefully as seamlessly as possible is to have a theme that connects the medical A story yeah. with the B or C story that's really about character and relationships. Yeah, and no, you definitely you you do that you do that very well. As Thank far you. as you're very welcome. <laughs> as far as now that you have all this television stuff going on, are you still interested in the feature world? Is the feature world still something you've got? Absolutely. I yeah. mean, I love I I love movies. I love TV. I would love to write features, direct features. Um, but I'm also very, very happy doing what I'm doing right now. That is great. For our last question, I would love to know what, thinking back to your whole arc, let's say, as a writer, director, producer, if you were to give um, somebody just starting the business a piece of advice or advice that maybe was given to you that was like a gold nugget, what what would that be? Um, I don't know if I could come up with one thing, but I would definitely say make sure it's what you want to do mm-hmm. um, because it can be very difficult. Get a thick skin because there's a lot of rejection. There's a lot of people who don't get your material, and that doesn't mean it's not fantastic, and it doesn't mean somebody else will get it. And have a very strong work ethic because I think that, you know, there. I think it's very easy to not do rewrites to not search for how to make a script better, um, to you know not second guess a story point, a character. And I think you know the, the best writers out there that, that and the people that I respect the most and, and read the most um, and have read about are able to do that. And I think that you know it's just really important to not give up on yourself and at the same time understand that whatever you've written can always get better. I would like to ask you, looking at the creative process, as far as surprises, what, if you were to think of any anything that you maybe going into it had a preconception of and then experiencing it were actually surprised as to the experience itself? 
Hmm. Um, I would say probably, I mean, what's popping in my mind is how amazing it is to work with actors who elevate material and that there are some lines of dialogue you write that you think are okay and you've read it a hundred times and you keep wanting to get it better and an actor will take it and just take it to another place. And it is such a fantastic surprise to have that happen. And when you're sitting at a table read, or even if you're watching a cut or the dailies and uh, and you see something pop in a way that you didn't think was possible, it's it's a fantastic thing. I uh, think I like that. I, it's, it's almost like just as you as a creator when somebody else, when you have a vision that somebody else gives you, you breathe life into it so the actors do for your words. Right. Or the flip side is the surprise when you've written a line that you think is hysterically funny and you hear it and it's terrible. Right. Um, that's a different kind of surprise. Yeah. yeah. I like the first kind better. I like the first kind better, too. That's great. If you were to think of all the shows on television right now, what are your favorites? Do you, I don't know if you get to watch a lot. I don't watch right. a lot. I end up, you know, DVRing most of them, but definitely 30 Rock um, I love. Yeah, right. And uh, I know some of the people that work on it. And and it just is a fantastic show. Curb Enthusiasm, I'm a big uh, fan of. Uh, in terms of new stuff this year, I watched the pilot to The Good Wife and thought it was a really strong pilot. I love that. Uh, yeah. Modern Family also thought it was really strong. Modern Family is fantastic. Yeah, um, I have. I worked with uh, a the, one of the leads of Community um, yes, was in an episode right. of Royal Pains. Her name is Gillian Jacobs, and she was so great on our show, and she's so great on that show. Mm-hmm. So I've been watching that show also. And um, I have Glee on my DVR. Have you seen Flash I not, Forward? I watched a pilot yeah. Flash Forward, and I don't tend to like shows like that, but was totally gripping. Yeah. And definitely want to watch more of it. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. It's a very good season for scripted television. Absolutely. It seems like audiences are showing up also yeah. for a lot of these shows. I agree. No, I I am very, very pleased. With regards to mentors, you tapped on it a little bit, but is there anyone in your career who you feel like had the greatest influence or or someone who you would like to mimic their career? Um, in terms of the first part of the question, you know, definitely I mentioned earlier Eric Bogosian, and although his, you know, he's he's infinitely more um, talented and he kind of does everything, uh, having the opportunity to kind of give him my work now for a lot of years and talk him about it and get his feedback has been really educational for me and, and a great influence um, and, you know, I'd mentioned John Worth before who, who, uh, I worked with on Love Monkey and, uh, and I've, you know, maintained a very close relationship since. And he's a person that I, I constantly call when I have questions, um, uh, that feel like, okay, I need help on this one. Uh, and, and he's been a great resource for me. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I've been lucky with that. You've had very positive experiences. I have. Yeah. The other shoe is going to drop soon. I know it. Yeah. Um, I think it's very, now what about as far as being a mentor? Um, do you feel that's something that you implement or you feel you're so busy sometimes? No, I love, uh, you know, I, I, there's a thing that the Writers Guild is sending out now called Pen Pals, which is some program that they have in New York in terms of working with high school students. And right. I think as involved as, as I can get and for anyone who wants the help, I think it's really important. And, you know, so much obviously of this business is giving back. And, and as we were talking about before, it's so hard for young writers to kind of get their break. So I would love to, you know, have any opportunity to help help people. 
I think that's fantastic. And on your shows, do you encourage the yeah. upper level to work with the lower yeah, level? Yeah, I mean, there's no real hierarchy on on the shows. Oh, I mean, obviously there always is, wonderful. but it's a very democratic room, and it's very important to me that the writer with with the least amount of experience feels as comfortable to speak as often as he or she wants in the room as any of us. And you know, the only place where you know they'll they'll get um, a later script if they're younger. But in terms of, you know, I, I definitely believe that uh, in terms of creativity, it's better for people to feel comfortable and not insecure about their position. And with regards to looking at your career, is there anything, if you were to do it over again, you would do differently? Um, hmm. God, that's a, like, deathbed question. <laughs> um I don't know. You know what? Um, I seem to lack serious self-awareness, uh, so I don't know what I would do differently. I mean, I th- I'm sure there are things I would do differently creatively in terms of, um, you know, maybe writing something better. And there have definitely been situations with, um, uh, you know, people I could have handled better. And I think, you know, I try to learn from them. And, and, and you know, it's a very tough because... I, I really want to work with people that I like and respect, and it's so important because you put in so many long hours. But at the same time, it is a business, and sometimes you have to draw that line and make decisions that are best for the show and not necessarily best for the human aspect of it. And it's a really tricky balance and a fine line to walk. And, and so I think that's probably where I'm most aware of trying to do the right thing. Well, you seem because you're so likable. Like I, I think from the moment that I met you, many years ago Mm -hmm. i i think it 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 you are you have a very contagious energy and a very accessible energy and i think with that um i have to imagine the idea of being liked is an important thing too so when you have to do things like say firing somebody or not not picking up somebody's contract that probably for someone like you is more difficult. It is. I mean, you, you know? know, there have been a couple of times where it hasn't been difficult because the person I was doing it to, I didn't like, I didn't respect them. I didn't think that they were working hard for the show. And, you know, the, the main thing that, that, you know, is important to me is that people treat each other and the show with respect. Yeah. And if they do that, then it's pretty much everything's going to be okay. And when that doesn't happen, it makes it easier. But absolutely... Um, I don't want to be someone who's intimidating people for the sake of intimidating people. And, you know, I, I definitely like to be around people that I want to be around. It's a reflection from the top down. So I think like when you bring up things that I think is so important for writers to be aware of is your work ethic is everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of not looking for the quick fix. Um, the career to happen overnight. Um, if it does, you're. I think you're blessed when things come in. But I think your your um, attitude of gratitude mm-hmm. is a reflection. I like of, that attitude of gratitude. Yeah, you come up with that right now. <laughs> Very impressive. <laughs> you brought it out. <laughs> See, Michael, that's great. Well, I want to thank you for joining us you're today. Welcome. Your insight has been amazing and i'm very excited for people to learn and hear about everything you have to say and i thank you for taking the time um to do this and thank you uh, i wish you lots of luck on the next season of royal pains thank you very much and i'm excited to see your writing and i'm excited to see what's next for you in the feature world 
And we are out with Michael Rausch of Royal Pains. And this is Jen Grisanti of Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc. and StoryWise Podcast. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions.